There it is. And we're back. We skipped a day. Can y'all believe it? Uh, missed Monday. It was a federal holiday. So you know what? I took the advantage. But we're back. And we're going to have an awesome time talking to our new guest. Uh, you know what? We'll just wait and introduce her. Here we go. Practicing polyamory. Real life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory. The mission of the Practicing Polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the real-life, flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from one another and grow as a community. Enjoy the show. All right, all right. I'm so excited to be back. Welcome, everybody, to this beautiful sunny day. Before we jump in and chat with our guest today, I want to quickly remind everybody to please... Follow the podcast everywhere on social media at Practicing Polyay, uh, especially Facebook, Instagram. That's where I'm most active. We do three shows every week. So if you have any questions, comments, whatever, want to talk about something specific, hit me up on the DMs, Practicing Polyay everywhere. Uh, don't forget, of course, to enable your YouTube notifications. That way you know when we're live and you can ask all of your questions live. And as always, quick reminder... If you're listening to the podcast, you are a welcome guest to be on the show. We are here to share our imperfect stories, and I want to get as many voices as possible to speak here because I know that the more stories we hear, the more others will see us in themselves, the more representation we'll have, and the more we can strengthen our community. So go to practicingpolyamory.com and sign up today. All right, everybody. That's it for today on uh, that spiel. Now the best part is introducing our guest. Today's guest is garnering change in the lives of her clients, in part because she helps people understand that when you see her for therapy, you are not there to be fixed because you are not broken. Our guest is a sex therapist with two main areas of focus, consensual non-monogamy and kink. A big struggle for folks in both of these communities is a scarcity of therapists who will affirm those lifestyle choices rather than assume a diagnosis based on socio-normative biases. What our guest has found is that people who are kinky and non-monogamous seek therapy for the same reasons as everyone else, often to cope with grief and loss, and for therapy purposes, being polyamorous or into BDSM is as innocuous to a person's makeup as the color of their hair. I'm excited to learn and listen to today's guest, who's not just a sex therapist, but also an educator of therapists with lots of knowledge to share. Joining us today from Garnering Change Psychotherapy out of Tosin, Maryland, welcome to the show, Heather Garner. Well, that was an amazing intro. <laughs> you know, all I did was Google you and Google all of your information. That was awesome. I have like walk-up music. It's great. Oh, totally. Heather, thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of your day to hang out and talk. And uh, let's just dive right in. Tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, your practice, I guess. Uh, let's start with that and uh, sure. see where we go from there. So I am a licensed certified social worker in... Maryland. I graduated from the University of Maryland a long time ago. Actually, this month is my practice's 10-year anniversary. I have hey, no idea. I, know. I don't That's know how awesome. that happened, um, but it did. Uh. Um, so I... You deserve that. You deserve that. Thank you. <laughs> I have this little practice in Towson and we um, work with LGBT folks and consensually non-monogamous folks and kinky folks. And 
were just one of the first really affirming practices that existed in the area. We do a lot of work on relationships and the transition to parenthood is another area that we specialize in. It's awesome. Ooh, that sounds yeah. fun. We can definitely get into that. You know what? Mm -hmm. Let's just, let's do that. Let's talk about that transitioning sure. into parenthood, especially when it comes to uh, polyamory. It's, I feel like that's a, a pretty common thing that that uh, a lot of people get the biggest amount of flack because they're parents, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I see Jessica from Remodeled Love. She gets these comments all the time, like, "Well, now that you're a mom, are you gonna start? Are you gonna give up your polyamory and this and that?" So, how does that transition look to people? And what are some just general tips and things they should know about being polyamorous and parents? Well, you hit the first thing is you're probably going to get a lot of flack. Mm -hmm. If you're not getting flack for being consensually non-monogamous, you're going to get flack for being a parent and being consensually non-monogamous. Um, I think what people forget is it's only been in the last half a, you know, half a century that we have raised our kids with two parents and the kids. And we've forgotten hmm. for most of history, we have raised our communities, our extended families, our neighborhoods, our tribes, have helped raise our kids. This is a new phenomenon where it's, you know, two parents and children. Uh, so I used to work with kids. That's my background. I used to work with traumatized mm -hmm. kids. Um, my philosophy has always been the more adults that love and care for kids, the better off they are. Mm, I totally a lot of potential for aggressive expansion. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Exactly. Um, he probably could have done with more adults in his life, honestly. <laughs> so this so idea, yeah. So this idea of you're bringing it out of people who love and care for each other and love and care for your kids. That's a bad thing is buckus. Um, kids need exposure to aunts, uncles, friends, neighbors. Mm -hmm. um, the, and parenting is hard. I don't know if you have kids. I have a kid. I don't. It's hard. It's really I hard. Hear. And the more that you can divide up that labor, someone's helping with the homework while someone else is working, mm -hmm. someone else is helping do the endless loads of laundry, someone's picking up daycare, someone's driving to soccer practice, we all need help. And right. if you can have other adults who can help with that process and who can love and care for your kids, the better. Totally. Um, that whole that whole thing, uh, that old saying, uh, takes a village, right? Like back in the day, it literally did. Yeah. And you're saying it's only pretty recently that it's just the the two parents. And I mean, I, I think of um, extended families, you know, I, I'm in Southern California. So real estate is ridiculous out here, mm -hmm. right? Like yep. $500,000 for a three bedroom, you know, 1200 square foot home. It's It's crazy. It's bonkers. But, you know, because of that, we get a lot of families multiple families that live in the same household so i don't get why people would frown on one or the other i guess it's the romantic part it's the sex part right right you know when people hear that you're consensually non-monogamous the first thing they want to know is who's sleeping with who mm -hmm. right and so then we're weird about sex as a society anyway so then when we bring into right. like wait a minute, you're not, this person's not doing this thing with this person. There's a possibility that person's doing something with that person and that person like what? Uh -huh. um, and like, what messages are you sending your kids about sex? Cause we get really weird about kids and sex. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's, that is what I found working with people 
um, in the community is the hang up of other people is what message are you sending your children? That love is not a subtraction problem. It's a division problem. And that you can have people who love and care for you and take care of you. I mean, honestly, most females are consensually non-monogamous like their best friend, right? That's another person that they tell their deepest, darkest secrets to. Mm -hmm. They maybe share things that they don't share with their romantic or sexual partner. Usually your girlfriend's coming over to help you out when the kids are screaming or you need a break. Like I had girlfriends that came over um, when my kid was young, just brought over a pizza and we watched Spartacus together. (laughs) You know, know, didn't have to get a babysitter, baby sleeping. Let's hang out. Right. Right. So, I don't, it's, it's when we add in the sex piece that people might be having sex with someone else other than their one partner that people get super weird about it. Now you're a sex therapist. So this is your (laughs) forte, right? This is is everything that you know. What is up with that? Like what, what's the hang up with people? What are just, we have a sex negative society. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole dissertation. That's like That's a, a whole, whole dissertation whole other show, but the long and short of it is somewhere along the way we decided that we should be one person. And well, we decided it should be one man and one woman mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who are Christian, who are white, <laughs> who have 2.2 kids, right? right? And a dog and live out in the suburbs. That's what we decided somewhere along the way. There's lots of historical things of how we got there and sex became this taboo subject along the way mm-hmm. um and people got the misconception that if we don't talk to our kids about sex they won't have sex that yeah, no, hasn't that worked out work. so well <laughs> <laughs> nope right. that's not gonna work no the states where it's not legally required to have sex education they actually have a higher teen pregnancy rate than in the states that it's required to have sex ed in school mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right shocking right um <laughs> that's not how it works that's not how any of this works totally so we're just i think i think at least in maybe where you are in california and me here in the dc baltimore area things are changing a little bit i'd like to Mm -hmm. think we're becoming a little bit more sex positive when i started my practice working with consensually non-monogamous and kinky people sort of fell into my lap and i was like one of the only ones and i got blown up by other therapists they lost their ever-loving minds when they found out I was doing this work. Now, people are out there and open. I run a consensually non-monogamous consultation group. I run a group for people that are kinky for other therapists. So the tide is changing, mm-hmm. um, at least maybe East Coast, West Coast. <laughs> We've got work yeah. on the middle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i i totally agree i think that you're right i think uh, as a society we're kind of moving more towards um sex positivity acceptance all of these different things i was having a conversation today uh with a friend who you know um when we when we think about things like even lgbt acceptance you know we we've come a long way uh and i think that it's it's about the information that's being passed uh we were actually talking about um gender identity mm-hmm. and the information that's being passed or sexual sexual identities even this the information that's being passed and the new words and vocabulary all of these things are, are making a huge difference yeah. um kind of diving into a little bit of of our actual topic when it comes to coping with heartbreak right um Let's look at it from this perspective, 
because this is going to be interesting. We're talking about being parents and being polyamorous. What happens when somebody breaks up who's been really close to the kids? Yep. I get this question a lot. So what I would remind everyone is your children did not consent to the relationship that you were in. Mm-hmm. And before you take whatever step you have in your commitment as a poly person with your partners, you need to have a discussion about what will happen if we break up and your relationship with my children. And even before that, what will your relationship with the children look like if they're not mm-hmm. biologically yours? Um, need to figure that out before you introduce this partner to your children. Those mm-hmm. conversations need to happen. It, I don't think it's any different than if you're a single parent, right? You need to be thoughtful right. about introducing your kids to your partner. You need to make sure that this is someone that's going to be around for a while, that they're a good person to be around, um, that they're healthy for your children to be around mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and have that discussion before you introduce your kids to them. Right. Right now, I know things change. People can get ugly. But what I tell anyone who shares children is if your relationship ends, you have to love your children more than you dislike your former partner. Love your children more than you dislike your former partner. Absolutely. Because if you love your kids more than you dislike your former partner, you'll realize Hopefully this person was a good person for them to be around. They enjoyed spending time with this person. They have a relationship with this person that is separate than your relationship from them. And so figure out how they can continue to see them. Can they still take them to Black Widow next week, Hmm. right? Can they take them to the park? Can they come to their band concert? Can they go to their sporting event, right? As long as they haven't done anything to your children, treat them like a step parent. Figure that out. Because again, the more people children have that love and care for them and they can go to, maybe they don't want to go to mom or mom or or mom and dad or dad and dad. They want to go to someone else and say, hey, I'm thinking about having sex or I'm thinking about trying this thing. Great. But that's for anyone. You got to love the kids more than you dislike your former partner. Nice. I like that. That's uh, easier said than done sometimes, you know, especially when it gets ugly. And um, you mentioned that it's a conversation that needs to happen probably before, um, you know, kids are introduced. Would you recommend like any kind of a timeline? Would you say, you know, within the first six months, wait a year, you know, what kind of advice would you give as far as, you know, the time before somebody meets their kids? I don't know if there's a good standard, but I would, I, as a therapist and having worked with kids, I would say six months to a year. Six months to a year. Why? Yep. Why? Well, NRE is a thing, right? Mm-hmm. It blinds us to all sorts of stuff. I'm sure you've had other guests talk about the brain science of this. You have 13 chemicals. Yet, but really? Let's talk about it. NRE, you got 13 chemicals churning up there, right? One of them is an amphetamine, mm-hmm. which makes you make Ooh. really bad decisions. The other one is a bonding hormone, which makes you feel really close to the other person when maybe you're not. Um, The other ones are endorphins, which make you feel really good. So Mm -hmm. NRE, scientific name is limerence, by the way, if you want to look it up, is is this like, oh, my God, I like, are they going to call me? It's that like whenever I see a (laughs) client come in with this face, like. I have to tell you something. I'm like, Oh God, they're dating somebody. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you know, when someone's in it, they just have that like 
mushy face, right? So that lasts, that can last up to 18 months at most. The whole point of it was so we can pursue and procreate. That was the biological reason that we experienced NRA, to pursue a mate and to make babies. So it can last up to 18 months. So if we acknowledge during that time period, usually it lasts for most people around three to six, you're maybe not thinking clearly. You haven't Mm -hmm. discovered yet if they leave their socks in the bathroom, right? Because people are still putting their best foot forward. You haven't discovered if they have this really annoying habit. Um, Maybe you haven't found out the truth about some of their past relationships or how they conduct themselves. You might not have even had your first fight yet. So taking the time and slowing down and remembering that you're a parent mm-hmm. and you need to make sure that this is a good person for your kids to be around. They're going to be a good role model, um, that they are not going to engage in conflict. That's going to be destructive to your children because children pick up on all that, right? Right. You grow up in an angry house. You're going to be an angry person. Mm-hmm, kids mm-hmm. absorb that energy. They learn all that. So figuring out how they fight and taking the time to really sit back and assess is this someone that I would want in my children's life? Right. Not just, are they fun for me? Just because they're fun for you might not mean they're good for your, your kids. And it could also depend on your kid's age. If your kids are, you know, 17, 18, 19, they probably don't care. They're probably like, mm-hmm. you know, they're probably not hanging out with you anyway. But if your kids are <laughs> younger, it would definitely be important. Take, yeah. Definitely want to take that into account. Now, there's, you know, if if that relationship doesn't work out, there's heartbreak on you know all all the way around right yeah. the couple or you know the two people that are breaking up there's going to be heartbreak uh there's heartbreak for the kids right with if they're not able to continue this relationship or you know if that person was living with them and now they're not um what kinds of things do you see with kids when it comes to that kind of heartbreak Kids grieve just like adults grieve, but if they're young enough, they don't necessarily have the language for it. Kids often, when they're younger, display their emotions and their behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, Could be crying, could be having temper tantrums, could be moody, could be um, being more oppositional, could be having sleep disturbances, food disturbances, issues at school. Um, Kids grieve too. And that's what I meant early on when I said your kids didn't consent to the relationship that we get into. They didn't have a say. You just, you know, you've decided you like this person. You bring them in. Most people don't go, so should I date this person? Right. That would be an inappropriate boundary. Mm -hmm. But our kids are sort of like, okay, and along for the ride. And then you have your adult relationship. And for whatever reason, it doesn't work. And then that person's gone from the kid's life. Mm -hmm. And we usually sit them down and just have a conversation like, well, it didn't work out. And so so so-and-so is not going to be around anymore. What? Right. Not much of an explanation. No, and chances are we as adults, even when we end a relationship, we all know that we have ex-sex. Everyone does that. So we're still (laughs) having contact with our ex, right? We're probably still texting, doing that. Our kids, they're just gone. Like chances are they didn't get a a chance to say goodbye. They didn't get a final hug. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't get any of that. They just know that this other important person in their life has disappeared from them. Wow. And, And that's sad for everybody. And that's why I say, take your time. If you're a parent, take your time, slow it down, get to know this person. Take your time, take it slow, get to know them. I guess that just leaves the, you know, 
the people, the, 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 the two people that actually do break up, uh, you know, when it comes to coping with grief and loss. Now you mentioned, you, you say that grief and loss is the primary reasons why people come to therapy at all. I think so. so. Let's talk about that. What, what is it? I mean, um, what, what do you see there? I guess, especially in, in talking, uh, about breakups, uh, the grief and loss, like how do people cope with it? How do you help people cope with it? What, what tools do you give them to be able to move on with their lives? Sure. So I'm going to back it up to your first question. How do I see grief and loss? Grief is a change in a familiar pattern of behavior. So if we think about grief as more than just someone died or a relationship ended, most of us will experience about 43 losses in our lifetime. So moving, wow. graduating from college, um, getting, ending a relationship, uh, loss of health, loss of financial resources. This whole past year with COVID has been loss after loss after loss. And it's not just mm -hmm. people died. It's a loss right. of health. It's a loss of security. So Grief and loss can be tangible things like my dog died, or it can be intangible things like I can't have children. Mm. So if you think about grief, when we broaden how we typically think of it, again, someone died or relationship ended, most reasons people come into therapy are to process this hard thing that's happened in their life. Mm -hmm. And so when I started, that wasn't my perspective. But as I started intensely doing grief work, I was like, wait a minute, this Everything people are coming to see me about is about a loss of some sort and grieving that. Mm -hmm. And what people grieve in addition to the, the, the loss, so I've lost my fertility or my spouse died, they are grieving hopes, dreams, and expectations. Wow. And we don't talk about that, right? So wow. if I had a miscarriage, I probably was already having thoughts about like, I wonder if it's going to be a boy or a girl, or I wonder if they'll go to college one day and what will they look like? You've already mm. started this path and then you don't carry the baby to term. All those hopes and dreams and expectations are gone. When you, when you break up, maybe you, it could be something like we were planning on spending Thanksgiving together. Yeah. It could also be, I thought you were the person I was going to grow old with. Right. I thought you were going to be the person that, you know, when I got sick was going to, you know, be there for me. So it's more than just what we typically think of. So when people come in to see me, uh, when relationship end, ends, we do a lot of re-education around grief. Everything, first of all, we haven't been taught it very well anywhere. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Everything most people know about it is wrong. The stages of grief aren't really a thing. The book was called On Death and Dying. It was not called on grieving. Mm -hmm. um, Keebler Ross's book was called on death and dying. It was about the process people might go through when they die. That was the, the whole denial and acceptance, acceptance, anger, et anger, that whole thing, bargaining, that whole thing. And it's like pervasive in media. And mm -hmm. so first of all, I have people come in, they're like, I think I'm at anger now. Like it's some sort of, like, this is a staircase. <laughs> and I'm like, mm, that doesn't work that way. Grief is more like, um, Space Mountain in Disney World, if you've ever been there. It's Not the world, roller coaster. The land. Okay, the roller coaster in the dark. If you've ever uh -huh. been on a roller coaster in the dark, that's grief, right? You oh, don't know okay. what's coming, right? Like all of a sudden, whoa, going around, you know, going around a curve. 
you know, the best example I have is I had people whose adult child died and the mom was grocery shopping and she was in whatever grocery store in the fall and she rounded the corner and there was the display of like turkey plates for Thanksgiving, like the paper plates. Mm -hmm. And she burst into tears in the middle of the grocery store. She wasn't expecting to see turkey plates and she certainly was expecting turkey plates to make her think of how her daughter wasn't going to be at Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. So it was this unexpected like, oh, here you are. Grief has arrived. Yeah. So people think, okay, so I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this and I'm good. Um, or people are like, how long am I going to feel this bad? I don't know. The only way th to get through grief is to go through it. Mm. Whatever that looks like for you. There's no, there's no shortcuts. Mm -hmm. So if you do the things that most people try to do, like I'm going to throw myself into work or best, you know, the saying the best way to get over one person is get under another. Yep. Yep. <laughs> right. Guess what? You're going to do all those things. You're going to work a lot. You're going to just ignore it. You're going to round the corner one day. Grief's going to be like, hello, I've been waiting for you. <laughs> right. It doesn't, doesn't go away. Yeah. No, no. So we have to go through it as terrible and awful as it is. Our brains are funny things. It doesn't know the difference between emotional pain and physical pain. So it does feel like we're dying. Yeah. Right. Heartbreak feels like we're dying because our brain thinks it's the same thing. So it feels terrible and it feels awful. And people come in and they're typically a mess. And we do a lot of re-education around grief. We help them see the things that they're doing that might not be helpful, like mm. jumping right back into the dating scene. That might work for some people, but I don't think it works for most. Drinking um, your nights away. That too, yes. Working yourself to death. I mean, all these can be good strategies, like going to the gym, right? You mm -hmm. might start going to the gym more often. But if you're not also working on the grief part, it's going to take longer. Um, and then we really try and find what I call meaning out of the mess. So hmm. I think any relationship that we've been in is worth it if you learn something. Makes sense. Right? So to me, Dating is like, um, especially when we were younger, is sort of like trying on jeans. That might be a that might be a female body <laughs> thing, right? You know, male body people can go in and get their 32, 36s, and most of them fit, right? You know, people who wear women's jeans, you have to find the right brand is gonna be different than that brand. And like, you know, it's this whole process. So we have to figure out what did we learn from this relationship, either a trait in a person we didn't like? Did we move too fast? Did we introduce them to our kids too fast? Were there conversations we didn't have? Do I handle conflict really terribly? Like I wouldn't do well with someone who was passive aggressive. That reminds mm -hmm. me too much of my family, right? So what did you learn? And so it's making the meaning out of this messy situation that we're in and recovering from it. So people always think that you're going to heal and be okay. It's not about that. It's about recovery. It's about recovery. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like, and get me, tell, tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Uh, the first thing is we have to actually go through the process. Uh, I remember one breakup that I had, you know, I was, like I mentioned, drinking my nights away. I went through a lot of alcohol. Um, but then finally one day I decided, okay, like, as bad as this feels, I just need to feel it. I stopped drinking and just cried a lot. James, and that sounds so, terrible. You're grieving and you're hungover. <laughs> <laughs> Headache, headaches and I don't know, whatever 
tears cause like right. double headaches. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was, it was, it was pretty bad. Um, but like, that was, I guess my acceptance of it and just going through it. Mm-hmm. And then the second part is figuring out what lessons we've learned. Yep. And how does, and, and then you said recovery. So what's the recovery part? Recovery, I think is some level of understanding that you can have a big enough loss. That's going to leave a scar, right? It's going to mm-hmm. leave a mark. Hopefully you will have learned and grown from it. But recovery is, I want you, James, can you do me a favor and think about your, this loss that you're talking about? Mm -hmm. Do you remember when it was fresh and new? Yeah. So whenever we have like a major loss, there's this crunchy, painful feeling generally in our chest, right? Yeah. yeah. There's pain. Like imagining it now and I'm feeling it. Yep. Uh Right. Recovery is. You can be sad about the loss, but that painful, crunchy feeling is absent. Mm. So I very much still miss my grandmother that died of Alzheimer's. Oh, goodness. Going on 11 years ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. But it's not as it's not painful and crunchy anymore when I think of her. We get a Christmas ornament every year. I see it. I get a little teary. I miss her. I'm sad. But it's not this like painful, gut-wrenching, you know, right. think back to the first like losses you had. Um, that's recovery. It's not, I don't feel sad ever. I don't feel angry about this thing that happened in the relationship. It's that the pain goes away. And the other thing is people always think, um, hatred is the opposite of love. It's not indifference is the opposite of love. Mm. So when you're really not pissed off about that thing that happened with your ex-partner, um, where it's just sort of like it was what it was, you're in recovery. Because if you hate them, you still care for them. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> I read somewhere that uh, the emotion, whatever, like in the brain, uh-huh. is pretty much the same whether it's love or hate. You know, like a lot of the Correct. reactions are are very much the same uh, up here. Uh huh. The brain is fascinating. It's super, super fascinating. But yeah, it's the same. And you know, because in order for me to care about what someone thinks about me, right? I had to be invested in the relationship with them, right? right? Someone on the street calls me a whatever. I don't know if we can cuss on this show or whatever, right? <laughs> I don't care. I might for a moment, but like, I don't care. But if someone close to me does, I care because I care about the relationship. Right. So if you're still holding on to anger and resentment. You still care about that person. Even if you don't want to admit it. I love yep. it. Yep. So on point, so on point. Heather, uh, I we're, we're kind of run, rounding the time here. So I want to ask you yeah. if there's any last minute things. Uh, is there something that I missed in talking about grief and loss and breakups? Is there anything that you would uh, that I that I didn't ask or just some final thoughts that you might want to leave with uh, the audience? I think being patient with yourself when you go through a loss Consensual non-monogamy is no different than monogamy in that we still experience the same emotions. I think it's just heightened, Mm -hmm. right? And so being patient with yourself, and if you have another partner, being patient with them while they're grieving the loss of maybe an additional partner, right? It was a loss. It was meaningful to them. So being patient with yourself, not trying to hide from your grief by going to the gym, drinking, whatever. Get yourself a therapist if you need one. We can be fabulous. Um... And just know that the price of admission to a relationship is vulnerability and vulnerability means we're going to get hurt. Mm. So if we 
don't want to be vulnerable and we don't want to get hurt, then we can't really be in a relationship. So unfortunately, heartache is sort of what we sign up for sometimes. Damn. Harsh truth. Harsh truth. Uh, Heather, final question for you. Yeah. Uh, if somebody wants to work with you, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, sure. uh, and especially for our listening audience, this is also an audio podcast, what's the best way for people to contact you? Best way to reach me is going to be on um, Instagram. We're at garnering underscore change, or you can always shoot me an email. It is heather at garneringchange.net. And I'd be happy to either find someone because I can only practice in Maryland that can work with people or answer any questions they have or, you know, come and educate them if they're therapists. <laughs> Perfect. Wow. Heather, this really has been uh, super informational. I feel like I got a, a lot out of this one today. Yeah. So uh, thank you again for spending some time hanging out with me and sharing your knowledge. Thanks for having me. I loved it. My pleasure. And thank you, as always, to our live audience as well for tuning in today. As a reminder, when we're live, you get no commercial interruptions, but the same can't be said for the podcast downloads. So if you want to avoid the commercial interruptions, be sure to catch us live Monday through Wednesday, 2.30 Pacific time, or sign up for our Patreon where you'll get access to our commercial-free RSS feed and support the show. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, wherever it is that you download your podcast. And if you haven't already, uh, please leave us a review. We'll really appreciate it. And that's all we've got today. Heather, one more time. Thank you so much. Thank it's you. been a blast. All right, everybody. Until next time. Have a nice day. Thank you for tuning in to the Practicing Polyamory podcast. Would you or someone in your polycule like to be a guest? Sign up at practicingpolyamory.com and join the conversation. Please support us by subscribing, liking, and following us on social media at Practicing Polya by clicking any of the affiliate links on our website or by subscribing at patreon.com slash practicingpolya.